Uh, our text this morning, as Pastor Barry mentioned, we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer. And we've uh, started this some weeks ago, and we took a pause so that we could resume our series in Genesis. And now we're back to the Lord's Prayer for the next few weeks during Paul's time away. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading specifically this morning from verse 10, but of course, it's the Lord's Prayer. It's one prayer. It's one, one passage, and so we will consider all of it. But I'll read the text. I'll read all of the Lord's Prayer. I'm reading from the ESV this morning, and I'll pray, and then we will begin. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, as we come <clears throat> to you, as we come to your word, as we see this pattern of prayer, Lord, I pray that it would come alive to us. Your word says that your word is living and active. And so, Lord, would these not just be words that we utter and we murmur passively, but, Father, would we be diligent in the things that we come to you with. So thank you for this gift. Thank you for prayer that we can even come to you. Lord, this profound mystery that we can commune with you through prayer. So, Lord, would these next few minutes be committed to you? I pray that the words of, of Jesus would stand out, Lord, more than anything I could say or, or explain. Father, I pray that your spirit would work through your word and would teach us this morning, I pray. Amen. I have a young family. We're, we're uh, young. We've got four young kids, and uh, so we're still establishing our own, our own traditions, our own patterns, and how we want our household to function. And you have traditions in your home, and one of the things that we've decided early on was that Christmas in our house would begin on November the 12th. And that may seem early. I know some of you are rushing to the grocery store to buy your Christmas tree on the 23rd of December. Uh, that's fine also. But in our house, if you come around, uh, November 12th is when it all begins, after, the day after Remembrance Day. And uh, if my wife and I could, if it were socially acceptable, we would start even sooner. But that seems about as early as we can push it. The reason, though, we, we do that is because there's so much to be uh, enjoyed. There's so much to be taken in around Christmas, isn't there? I mean, not much more than just the decorations and the music. There's such great anticipation, and all the more as Christians, as we, we, we remember, as we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus in, on the earth. But our kids, of course, just can't, can't get enough of it. We, when the 12th hits, as soon as they come home from school, we start to rearrange the furniture, out comes the tree, the lights, the decorations, the eggnog, the Christmas baking. It begins. It's Christmas, baby, in the Gullivich house on November the 12th. We'll, we'll, we'll say things like, it's Christmas, and our neighbors go, no, it's not, you're, you're, what are you, what are you, you're crazy. But it's Christmas, right? November the 12th, it's Christmas time, it, it, it's here, it's finally here. But of course, it's, it's not Christmas, is it? It's not Christmas until the 25th. Christmas is coming, but in our house, it, it, it begins, it's at hand as of the 12th of November. And this, this idea of something being here, like Christmas, it's Christmas time, is kind of how the kingdom is described in the scriptures, it's here. Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's begun. It's right before you. But here, Jesus uh, says that we should pray your kingdom come. It, it, it should also still come. So, so which is it? Is it, is it here or, or is it not here? And this is one of the great many mysteries in Scripture that the kingdom is, is here. It's already here, but it's 
It's still coming. It's not yet fully fulfilled. And so when you think about Christmas in the Gullivich household, it's a little bit about, it's a little bit similar to how the kingdom functions. That we're living in it, it's here and now, but it's still a future hope. The ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate coming of God's kingdom is not yet here. We rejoice, but we anticipate. One of the great New Testament scholars of our time, N.T. Wright, says this in, in one of his books on this passage, referring to the pattern of, of how Christians function, of how children of God, of how we live, of how our, what makes our heart beat. And he says, the pattern of Christian spirituality is the rhythm of standing in the presence of the pain of the world and kneeling in the presence of the creator of the world. He says, uh, it, it, it's the rhythm of bringing these two things together in the name of Jesus and by the victory of the cross. Something that's happened and something that's still coming. The tension of the double advent, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And of course, of calling God Father. The God of all creation is our heavenly Father. And so this, this pattern is for God's, for God's children is that, as we see in the Lord's Prayer, it defies everything of the kingdom of the world. You and I live in this world, but we're not, we're not eternal citizens of it. We, we're made for somewhere else. And so our pattern, though, is to live in the tension of, of the two kingdoms. Kingdom of this world, the kingdom of, of the here and the now, but the coming of the kingdom, of the advent. And in verse 9 here in our text, verses 9 and 10, we see uh, the, the Lord's Prayer very simply can be divided into to two portions. And the first portion is all about God, and the second portion is a little bit more about us. And they're all, there's six petitions, and in the first portion there's three petitions, three things we ask of God, three things that Jesus instructs us to ask of God, and that's for God's name to be, be made great. It's for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. These are, these are unique petitions, unique requests for the Father, but they're not entirely different either. They're not, they're, they're not unrelated. And they in no way depend on us. There's nothing we can do to, make, to push God's hand. God doesn't change his plans based on what we ask. They don't depend on us, but these words, these, these words of petition are radical. They in every way involve every part of our lives. So they don't depend on us, but they in every way involve us. It's an invitation for God's will, his kingdom to come in the here and now, in the already not yet, for his divine sovereign purposes that he set forth from the beginning to come, to come to earth. And so if you're taking notes, that's the outline for this morning, is that our, our rhythm as earthly children of our heavenly father, the rhythm for us is to seek the kingdom and to submit to his will. We first seek the kingdom, and in doing so, we submit to his will. So we'll take those two things in order, and then we will conclude. So what does it mean, then, to seek the kingdom? Well, what is a kingdom? If we start there, you think about a, a kingdom. Any kingdom, any earthly kingdom, requires three things, at least three things. And the first is you need a king, right? You need a sovereign power, someone with ultimate power and authority over something. The second thing you need is, is, is people. The sovereign power needs people to exercise his power over. A king needs, needs a people. And the third is a place, some physical definable territory, some area in which that power is, is, uh, reigns supreme over those people. You need a supreme power, you need people, and you need a place. And so therefore, the kingdom of God is wherever God rules, wherever God's reign is established. 
And Psalm 103 and other places, Psalm 103 is one of them, verse 19, says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Elsewhere in the Psalms, it says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So how does that work? If, if the kingdom of God is coming, how does that work if God already has dominion over all things? Because he already and always has and always will have full dominion and full authority over all things. And so there's, there's an important distinction here that we're not asking the Lord to somehow make, make more advancements that God's kingdom would, would get bigger as though there's some parts of the world, some parts of the, the cosmos that God isn't already reigning supreme. God is sovereign over all things. He is supreme. So when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we pray that the kingdom of God would be revealed to us, that his kingdom would be revealed to us here on earth as it is in heaven. Space and time move, move one direction. And so we're praying that as time goes on, that the Lord's will, the Lord's kingdom would continue to come, that it would be revealed and established here on earth as it is in heaven. This is the trajectory of history. Ever since Genesis 3, uh, last week we ended, right, talking about sin, right, talking about the fall, the, the catalyst of, of human history where we've gone and disobeyed God. And ever since, history since then has been moving one direction in which God is doing his rescue mission. And for the kingdom of God, that direction is Godward, is back towards God in his rescue mission. It's kingdomward. It's Godward. It's not a peripheral project or some sort of sideline assignment that God needs to, needs to put back together the pieces, but rather his glory is at his very nucleus by which he fulfills his purposes for his glory. For instance, did you know that God has a plan for everything? If you were to look at your life and if you were to put it out on a spreadsheet, it, mine would be pretty messy. But if you put it in nice, neat columns, mine would still be messy. Maybe yours would be too. But if you were to organize and categorize your life in its different areas, its different spheres, did you know that God has a kingdom plan for each of those? For instance, in your relationships with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, God has a kingdom purpose for those relationships. And that plan is that there would be genuine love amongst one another. There would be kindness. There would be grace. There would be humility. There would be peace. And that you would do good to one another. Every relationship. God has a kingdom purpose and a plan for marriages that husbands would love their wives and wives would respectfully submit to their husbands, that there would be sacrificial love, that the gospel would be lived out in marriages. Christian households, a few hours ago, Will and Rebecca dedicated their daughter saying, we want our household to, to be a godly household. God has a redemptive plan for households. It doesn't matter if you're married or single or perhaps divorced or maybe you're widowed. It doesn't matter if you have young kids, no kids, adult kids. God has a plan for Christian households where there would be fathers leading families with gentleness, where children would honor their parents. They would submit to them in a place where the gospel is caught and taught, a place of hospitality, a place of peace. What about our church? <clears throat> Excuse me, not just this church, but the churches down the road and the churches all around the island and the churches all over our country. God has a kingdom purpose, a kingdom plan for his church in which disciples love and build one another up, where sinners like me and sinners like you can gather, can worship can be transformed by God's word and by the power of his spirit, go out 
and fulfill our great commission. If you're an employee or a business owner, God's will for your work is that you would do so with fortitude. You would do so earnestly. You would serve the Lord as you serve people. If you're in authority or leadership over other people, God's will is that you would conduct your position of leadership with fairness. Not motivated by greed or by profits, that you would be motivated investing in the kingdom. That we wouldn't ask, how much can I earn or how much can I gain, but how much can I give away? How can I be generous with, what's God, with what God has given me in gratitude for his provision over every area of our life? You see, there's a universal restoration taking place over all of creation that began the moment of, ever since Genesis 3, that cataclysmic moment in which uh, uh, all of the created earth was fractured and was broken and relationships were fractured. God has begun this restoration work in which all things will be made right. This is what it means for the kingdom to come, for the kingdom to be revealed. And I don't know about you, but I've got a long ways to go. We've got a long ways to go for this restoration to be complete, but the Lord is in charge. It is on his timing. But nevertheless, what's that trajectory for you? If you were to plot out your your holiness, your, your godliness, your sanctification through history and time, what would that line look like? What's that transformation process look like for you? Do you look more like Christ today than you did six days ago? Or how about six weeks ago? Or how about six months ago? Is the kingdom come now in these spheres of your life more today than it, ha- than it was six years ago? What is that trajectory for you? I'm convinced that a, a Christian prayer who prays these things and who earnestly seeks the things of God, that, that, that trajectory has to be Godward. It has to be kingdom word. My fear sometimes is that, I don't know about you, but I've, I've memorized this prayer like when I was a kid, and maybe you did too. And these words can just be words, and we recite them with our mouth, but we don't recite them with our heart. But God's kingdom wants more. It's what we were made for. Not forever, because once God's kingdom comes and is fully established, there will be, there will be no more need for his kingdom to come, because we will rejoice We will celebrate. It will have arrived. But for now, it is the pattern. It is the reason that we have been placed here, that God's kingdom would come. So we do that. We seek the kingdom of God. And as as we do that, we also submit to God's will, the second point for us this morning. I have uh, young kids, and I love listening to them pray because they are so selfish. (laughs) They pray for the most greedy, materialistic things. Their worlds are about this big, and usually they pray for stuff. Usually they pray for things, or they pray for um, an experience, and their prayers are so precious. Make no mistake, the Lord hears the prayers, even of children. But they lack maturity, because they're focused on their kingdom. They're focused on their will, and that's exactly what we we do, or we run the risk of doing, is we pray our will, and we project it on God, and we say, God, I really need this, but if that can't happen, I'll take this instead. And if that doesn't work out, here's, here's another third workable option for me. And it's as though we, we pray our requests, we pray our Christmas you know, letter to Santa on God, and we say, Lord, do my will according to, to my will. Do your will through my will. And this prayer makes no room for that. 
That is an uninformed and naive, self-centered kind of way for God to, to fulfill our will through, through his sovereignty. That's not what God's all about. That's not what this prayer is about. That's not how children of God should pray at all. The difference between a, the, the prayer of a child, the prayer of a, of a, of a young, immature prayer And the kind of prayer that Jesus lays out for us here by asking that God's will would be done. The difference is a willing submission. You see, rather than me praying my my desires, my will on God, I'm saying, God, make your will, bring your will about for your kingdom's sake, and I'm gonna submit to that. I'm gonna willingly submit to that. Whatever it is you have for my life, whatever it is you have for me here and now, I will submit to that. We trust in the goodness of the Lord. We trust in his providence in his sovereignty, that his ways are good, his plans for us are good and right, and we can find peace that God's purposes would prevail, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, until you come back, until you return, until the fulfillment, the, the, the final arrival of the kingdom, Lord, would you have your will here and now, even as you do in heaven? Well, what then is the will of the Lord? What's God's will? That's what the Bible's all about, is God doing his will for his glory. In history past, in present times, and now, and in the future, God will carry about his purposes. We aren't asking God to do something that he won't already do. His kingdom will come, and his will be done. But it goes, it's a lot easier and things will go much better for us if we stand under that, if we submit to that and we seek that as God's children. God's will is to undo the bonds of Genesis 3. The sin and captivity that we're under brings about death and God is about life. God is about freeing us from the bondage of sin and ultimately destroying it for us. God's will in John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. God's will, according to 2 Peter 3, is that none should perish, but that all would reach eternal life. 1 Thessalonians 4, God's will is your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality and you'd have self-control lest you sin against one another. God's will, as Jesus told us, is that we would abide in him, First John 15, or pardon me, John chapter 15, that we would abide in him and we would abide in his love. And that in so doing, in Ephesians 5, we would be filled with the spirit of God. This is God's will. God's will is that we would keep his commandments, that we would, we would do what we're supposed to do. We would live like we were meant to live. Why? Because it's good. God's commandments are good for us. A man by the name of um, E. Stanley Jones, who was a missionary in India, he says it this way, that God's will is not an imposition to us. It's not an imposition. It's It's not contrary to us. God's not our adversary. God's will is not an imposition to us, he says. It is rather an exposition. God's will exposes something inwards, exposes something in us that's already true, namely that we're gods, that we're made for God which is why God says you shall have no other gods before me. It isn't because God's lonely, but it's because that's what God made us for. He made us for relationship with him. 
He says, be holy. Well, why? Why is that? Why should I be holy? Well, God says, because I'm holy and you're made in my image and you're made for my glory. So be holy. It's not an imposition, but it's an exposition. It isn't a threat to us because we'd be foolish. We would be a threat to ourselves to to desire anything less, to desire anything else than what God has set forth in his will. And that's the great tension though, isn't it, of being a Christian? We want other stuff. We want our own will. We want our own kingdom. But it's not a threat. Submission to his will leads to true freedom. And the will of God is that we would be kept from the destruction of our own sin here. As his kingdom comes, as we're made more like him, what happens is that the consequences of our sin are destroyed. It's good for us now, the here and now, but it's good for us in eternity. I have a friend, when you ask him how he's doing, he says, eternally good. (laughs) Things aren't always good now, but eternally I'm good. I'm doing well eternally. And I think that's so true. Jesus so beautifully demonstrates on the Sermon on the Mount. Jump back one chapter with me. It's probably about a page in your Bible. In Matthew chapter 5. He gives us a beautiful description of a kingdom life, of what kingdom living looks like. And it says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, verse three, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is yours. It's a blessing when we live kingdom lives. Listen, this prayer, these words are anything but ordinary. And I know we we memorize them and we mumble them as we fall asleep and we lay our head on the pillow. And it's good to have scriptures and prayers memorized. But you can't just have them memorized in your head. You have to have them memorized in your heart. You see, instead of laying our head on a pillow, we should be putting helmets on our heads when we pray this prayer. We should be putting on harnesses. We should be donning military gear. Do you really want God's kingdom to come? Do you really want his will to be done? If so, buckle up. It's anything but ordinary. We're not asking God for anything yet. The next verse, which we'll look at next week, gets into the daily bread. We've not even asked God for anything yet. Yet we've already asked him for everything, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, is to ask God for the moon. To say nothing of our material needs, which of course we have, we've asked God to do everything, yet we've not asked for anything yet. We've asked for the most important thing, the thing that we need so desperately, is what we seek. And so my fear, though, is that we're we're prepared to pray these things because they sound good, and we've got it memorized. We're prepared to pray them, but I don't know if we're always quite so prepared to live them. And so I've pointed out Two things, there's, there's far more than two, but I want to share with you two difficulties that I encounter, and maybe they're true for you. Two difficulties that I, that I wrestle with within, within myself. 
maybe they're true for you. The first difficulty is the kingdom of me or the kingdom of you. You see, I, I like me. I like the things that I like and I want the things that I want. I like the kingdom of me. My struggle against, my struggle in my sanctification in, in the coming of God's kingdom for me is, is actually me. More specifically, it's my sin. It's my flesh. It's, it's the desires that I have that, that oppose God. They hinder me from seeking and seeing God's kingdom come. And thanks to sin, by, 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 by my own nature, by my own hardwiring and my DNA, sin is bred into that. And so I lie because I'm worried about the truth coming out. Or we gossip because we don't want the truth to come out because we would look bad. We can make other people look bad. Or we cover up the things that we want no one to know about. We neglect the things of, that God asks us to do. In fact, God requires us to do. And we commit the things that God prohibits because we've bought into this lie that our way is better. But it's not so. We get sidetracked with lesser things. Our, our heart sparkles for other things that are less, things that will lead us ultimately to destruction. Things that maybe are good things, but when we make them our God, they become destructive things. We all have those. We call them idols. We get led astray and settle for lesser things that sidetracked us because we haven't clearly grasped God's glory enough, the goodness of God and his kingdom. We have not got our glasses on right because the reality is that God's kingdom frees us from settling for anything less. It frees us from pursuing things that are less than God's kingdom, things that are less than abundant life, things that are less than freedom. And God will not deny you. If you pray this prayer with sincerity, all sincerity, desperately, earnestly seeking God's kingdom, God will do his work. He will not deny you that process of sanctification. He will not deny you that request when we seek him with all of our heart. That's the first difficulty, me. And you. The second one is, is not, not dissimilar, but it's, it's different. And I've called it, should I stay or should I go? Sometimes I think it'd be easier to be dead. Or we may say things like, God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm so ready. I can't handle the pressures of life. I sat across, from the, uh, across the table from a, a woman this past week whose story couldn't be sadder. I couldn't write a worse story if I tried. Everything has been taken. She has absolutely nothing and is in a moment of time of desperation, seeking the Lord earnestly, but nothing. So she's ready. She says, God, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. Come back or take me home. And we should pray. Make no mistake. We should pray that the Lord would return. We should, we should pray that he wouldn't tarry. Because there's great things when the Lord's kingdom comes. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 1 to his brothers and sisters in the church there. He's in prison. He's writing to them. And he, he conveys this same tension of, I want to go, God. Take me home. He's in prison. He might die. He says that. He says in verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I stick around, God will continue to use me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I don't know what's better. 
to live or to die. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, and it is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. I will persevere, he says, for your progress and joy in the faith, that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In other words, God's not finished with me. There's still work to be done. And for your sake, church, Paul says, it's better if I stay for God's glory because God is still building his kingdom. Listen, Paul, Paul was not needed by God. God didn't need, ask Paul because he needed him. God appointed Paul because that was his sovereign purpose. God doesn't need me and God doesn't need you to build his kingdom, but he invites us. He's appointed us to be kingdom workers, to be kingdom seekers for his glory. And he's not finished with us. So if you're still here, if you're still breathing, and if earth is still your home, there's unfinished work left to do, and God will do it. Almost 139 years ago exactly, a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached this same text. How cool is that? And here's what he said towards the end as he closed. I'll read it for you. He says, do not be impatient to go to heaven. Nay, do not have a wish about it. Count it a great privilege to have long, a long life in which to serve the Lord on earth. Our mortal life is but a brief interval between the two eternities. This life is the vestibule. It's, it's the gateway. It's the entrance of glory. So array yourselves in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, for this is the court dress of earth and heaven. Godliness. Manifest at once the spirit of saints, or else you will never abide with them. Now begin the song which your lips shall carol in paradise, or else you will never be admitted to the heavenly choirs. For none can unite in the music but those who have rehearsed it here below. You see, this, this temporary affliction, this moment, this time here on earth is to prepare us for our real home. We're at the vestibule, the gateway. You don't hang out in the vestibule for long. There's something greater ahead. So let the Lord prepare you in this vestibule, in this time. Let the Lord prepare you for the kingdom of heaven, even today. And so my challenge to you, my invitation is that you wouldn't resist. I know life's hard. I know things aren't always the way we want them, but the Lord has you just where he wants you. He doesn't make mistakes. He didn't push the wrong button. God can use you and he will use you. He will build his kingdom right here, right now. Good things take time, which include your holiness, and God will refine you, and God will build his kingdom, and God will sanctify you in the fray if you serve God with your whole heart where you're at, and if you earnestly pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. The great news, though, is that it is coming. His kingdom will come, and his will will be done. It's coming soon, and in Revelation chapter 21, Starting in verse two, we have this great image, and I want to read it for you, Revelation chapter 21. This is an image of the apostle John, and God gave him a dream, a vision. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man on that day. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, as their king. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. You may have memorized the Lord's Prayer in a different translation. I'm going to put it up on the screen behind us. I'd like to close our time together by praying the Lord's Prayer. This will be from the English Standard Version. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors, our debts as we forgive those. Let's go back. (laughs) Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we come before you here on earth and we ask that you would build your kingdom, that you would have your way, that you would do your will here, even as it is in heaven. And Lord, as Charles Spurgeon prayed also, would we begin lives here on earth worthy to be perpetuated in eternity? Father, would we live in submission to your will for the sake of of your kingdom and for your glory? Amen.